Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, if there's one thing that I find endearing about the botanical-style aquarium, it's that the practices and procedures that we employ are still very much evolving. There's no absolute rules that have been imposed upon us from those up high, you know. Uh, we haven't gotten that stubborn, at least not yet. Uh, well, I guess I should be more precise. There's no rules which we as practitioners of this style of aquarium have created. Nature does that for us. It provides us the guardrails which keep us in line and prevent us from doing stupid things and getting away with them. Rather, what we've done is we've developed procedures and best practices based on nature's rules. And procedures are always subject to individual customization, aren't they? Sure, nature will dictate how stuff works. Yet we have an ability to adapt and iterate practices within her guidelines. It's part of what makes us unique as hobbyists and people, and that's the way that each one of us seems to approach stuff in the aquarium hobby in our own slightly, you know, personalized way. I think that's really cool. And over time, and with enough personal experience, we often develop our own rules for how to do things in the hobby. Much like rules or best practices that we've created for ourselves in our everyday lives, you know, like always logging out of your PayPal account when you're using your iPad, or never get your sushi from a supermarket, you know, stuff like that. The way we approach our aquarium practice is as individual as we are. I know that I've been, um, you know, looking at the hobby in terms of rules for a long time. And I know that I have a few hard and fast rules or practices that I've personally developed over the years. And when I reflect upon them, I realize that many of them were simply as a result of my socialization, if you will, within the hobby when I was younger and more impressionable or something like that. Like, I have this thing about never feeding dry you know, prepared foods to my fishes. I just don't. I mean, like ever or hardly ever. I'd likely literally sooner swat house flies or collect ants from the backyard by hand before I'd throw in some flakes. It's that ingrained in me. I know it's a bit ridiculous. It is. I think I have an idea, however, you know, how this sort of weird practice evolved too. Back in the day, like during my pre-teenage years, I was obsessed with killifishes. And the prevailing hobby wisdom at the time was that you should feed them, you know, exclusively with live and maybe frozen foods. It was almost like there was a taboo about dry food, especially if you were serious about keeping and breeding them. And there were plenty of experts who said that killies wouldn't even eat prepared foods, as if the fishes felt that these foods were somehow harmful or detrimental to them. And this thinking, of course, was not limited to killies. I, I've seen evidence that the same sort of dogma has been floating around the hobby since before I was born. Uh, the guppy breeding reference books from the 50s and 60s, which my dad accumulated in his hobby library and which formed much of the basis of my aquarium hobby indoctrination, if you will, just eschewed dry foods and insisted upon feeding your breeders, you know, newly hatched baby brine shrimp and frozen adult brine shrimp almost exclusively. Dried food wasn't even considered. Yet, oddly, you know, weird food like finely scraped frozen beef heart, what the fuck, <laughs> was considered good stuff. I mean, yuck. I think, though... That's a little aside, of course. I think, though, there was an interesting dichotomy going on in the hobby during the so-called golden era, which I'm quite fond of talking about. Even though technology was just starting to 
impact the practices and procedures that were prevalent during the day, there seemed to be a distrust among hobbyists about abandoning or even evolving practices long held dear, like, you know, feeding dried foods in place of, or even in addition to, live or frozen foods. You know, I'm going to call BS on that. Now, in all fairness, this was at the dawn of the high-tech influence on the hobby, with all the insanely scientifically derived you know, dried foods that we take for granted now just starting to really appear. So hobbyists from my generation were still uh, strongly influenced by the old-school hobbyists who collected and grew their own Daphnia, brine shrimp, white worms, glass worms, whatever, and were perhaps a bit spooked about the idea that you could provide your fishes with high-quality nutrition in a can. I suppose it makes a lot of sense given typical norms of hobby behavior, not to mention the way hobbyists think. We get a little stubborn. And being a really young guy in a very hardcore hobbyist group like the AKA at the time, which was like the 80s, where I'd hazard a guess that the average age of the member was like 55, I couldn't help but be influenced by this crowd. Some of these people were even serious hobbyists in like the pre-World War II era and pretty much invented many of the practices that formed the basis of our hobby for a generation. It was pretty rad, actually, but... You know, live food was considered what you do when you bred killies. If you weren't into growing your own, frozen was the option to fall back on. And of course, even the use of frozen foods would cause a few murmurs and hushed comments about your skill and devotion, or lack thereof, to the hobby. I mean, how lazy are you if you use frozen food? Yeah, it was a tough crowd. And using dried food was almost seen as a shortcut that, you know, not so serious hobbyists would take. I mean, if you couldn't even be bothered even to thaw out some frozen food, let alone culture your own fruit flies or whatever, your skill set and your dedication was highly questioned. And of course, there was the widely accepted opinion that dried and prepared foods were not as nutritionally sound as the live foods we grew and collected, which at the time probably wasn't that far from the truth. Obviously, that's completely outmoded thinking these days. The technology behind the development and manufacturing of dried and frozen foods has evolved so much that even the cheapest, most generic you know, mass market can of flake food is probably better than 90% of the most premium prepared foods available in the 1960s. Stuff has, thankfully, evolved. In fact, nowadays, I suppose some hobbyists might even question why you'd even go to the effort to collect your own food or culture your food yourself. You know, your exotic wild-caught fishes can be fed near-natural quality foods from a can or premix or the freezer, you know, daily. So yeah, this sort of tribal influence from the hobby elders really set, you know, me into my habit, which to this day I almost never deviate from. I feed virtually 100% frozen and live food for all my fishes as a matter of practice. In fact, other than the occasional samples, you know, that you receive at a hobby conference as a raffle prize or whatever, you pretty much never see a dried or frozen dried, you know, freeze-dried food in, in my house. I know it's crazy, it's stupid, it's stubborn, and entirely outmoded thinking because today's prepared foods are, like we said, probably 10 times better than the frozen foods of 30 years ago. But hell, I am stubborn. Yeah, it's rather ironic that, you know, that bending the rules I've subscribed to have generally worked out just fine for me. Uh, I, you know, you know, I'm rather fond of bending hobby rules, right? So it's a bit interesting. And it's actually kind of funny, absurd even, because there are some insanely good foods out there, like some that you'd just be stupid not to try. Yet in my own weird way over the years, I'd convinced myself that live, and by extension, my lazy use of frozen foods was just how I do it. I have all the stubbornness of my predecessors without the judgmental part, of course. Yikes. Yet, I'm not completely stubborn and unyielding in my thinking, however. Now, I admit I've tried one of the new insect-based foods, which I was really excited to use and profoundly disappointed by the results. My fishes showed, like, zero interest in them, which was weird because, well, you know, flies. Hello. It's their natural food, but yeah. 
can fishes be stubborn? Maybe. Maybe my fish is going to be stubborn. Yeah, probably. I don't know. But I, I promise I will keep trying. I'm not going to give up on this stuff. Yeah, fish food is one of those things that we take for granted. Stuff becomes a habit and is a sort of a rule in our hobby practices. Now, unlike my predecessors, I wouldn't look down on anyone who keeps a pack of flakes in her home and swears by high-tech, scientifically formulated pellet foods. Our lifestyles as humans have changed so much over the decades. And these foods offer not just convenience... They offer overall practicality and cost-effectiveness. And let's just be honest. Convincing your significant other that it's just fine to keep a container of Wrigley worms in the refrigerator right next to the leftover lasagna or whatever is getting increasingly difficult in today's world. The good news is that ideas, practices, and rules, once considered beyond question, are open for conversation, analysis, and, yeah, evolution. The speed with, with information spreads in the hobby enables rapid evolution of these ideas, these practices, and procedures. Look at how our little hobby niche has just changed and expanded. Yet, even with rapid dissemination of ideas and information, human stubbornness and laziness still went out more often than you think. I mean, yeah, we're in a world where tweets and hashtags have replaced long-form conversations and such, and where many hobbyists won't read the massive amount of information that's readily available to them with a simple click. Even though many hobbyists are interested in what we discuss in the Tint blog... Uh, a higher percentage would rather listen to the podcast. And that's cool, as long as they absorb some of the information, as far as I'm concerned. Time is apparently more precious than ever. So we try to get information out in means that's easy to digest and in a variety of format to help us keep people informed during our busy days. And yet there's still a shockingly large number of hobbyists who just won't absorb all but the most superficial information, even if it's right in front of them. Don't believe me? I get at least two to three emails every week from customers who order botanicals from me and ask, okay, I received my botanicals. Do I need to prepare them for use or can I just add them to my tank? I mean, literally, I want to slap myself sometimes. I've spent hours and hours developing and sharing best practices right here, creating instructions on how to prepare botanicals, the justification for why we do it, and the benefits of engaging in a preparation protocol. It's formed the foundation of what we do. Not a set of rules, but definitely a recommended set of best practices that we want to make as obvious as possible to as many hobbyists as humanly possible. We've even went as far as to develop an easy-to-digest infographic that summarizes this important process with a minimum of verbiage that we include with every first or second time order. It's important to impart as much information as possible to hobbyists about the basic practices of our specialty. Yet the apparent lack and desire to read or research stuff that one would think should be fun, because it's like a hobby, right? might just be a thing with culture, a shift of sorts. I suppose it makes sense. Time and convenience tend to relegate stuff like culturing live foods and even reading instructions to the hardcore DIY-type hobbyist crowd. You know, hatching brine shrimps for our baby fishes should be aquarium keeping 101, yet the reality is it just might become one of those interesting, charming, yet essentially largely extinct skills. You know, like horseshoe making, subsistence farming, grinding our own coffee beans, and changing the oil in all of you know, our cars ourselves. Stuff which simply becomes unnecessary or, you know, whatever because of the developments in our world. Cool stuff to know, a novelty even, yet not a necessity. I suppose that you can't fault this shift. I mean, our culture has evolved. We stream movies to our iPads. We use websites to deliver food from local restaurants and let total strangers drive our 14-year-old daughters around in their own vehicles with a simple smartphone app and no concerns whatsoever. Something which would have freaked out any parent just a decade ago. Yeah, cultural changes. Look at the explosion in so-called meal kits targeting a growing segment of consumers who apparently need a paint-by-numbers approach to preparing meals for their family. You know, order online and it's delivered to your door complete with instructions. It's easier than planning out a meal, shopping for the you know, readily available ingredients, and then preparing them from scratch, right? Maybe? Well, I can't entirely diss the idea. It goes with this cultural shift. 
Most people will tell you that they have less free time than ever and the demands on their leisure time are many. I get it. Time's more valuable than ever to us. We all value different stuff now than we did even 10 years ago, let alone several decades ago. Times change. It's cool. And it's probably for the better, right? I mean, I know my mom would not have been all that disappointed if I fed lots of freeze-dried Tubifex worms instead of laying out, you know, cantaloupe rinds and containers of water in the backyard to bait mosquitoes into laying their eggs so I can collect the larvae. Yeah, that was crazy. So, so sure, we could romanticize stuff like collecting and growing Daphnia and Tubifex worms. We could lament and think that it's all sad that most people don't want to do it anyway, like don't want to do it that way anymore, you know? Yet it's kind of silly to do that. Culture, people, and the hobby evolve and change over time. And that's a great thing. Yet there are all sorts of interesting signs that things are changing yet again. Growing your own is enjoying a sort of rebirth of sorts, with culturing live foods becoming more and more prevalent among even less than totally hardcore hobbyists. Live food culture is almost becoming a sub-hobby of sorts. It's starting to come full circle, I suppose, much like home brewing of beer or whatever. You don't have to, but it's sort of fun. It's a great skill to acquire and an homage to the craft of our hobby. Yeah, times do change. Well, sort of. And there's nothing wrong with bending our own rules from time to time. Well, look, I gotta run. I'm thawing out some frozen bloodworms for my fishes. No time for netting Daphnia today. You know what? Maybe I'll just try a can of that new pelletized soldier flies food. I've heard some good stuff about it. Yeah. <laughs> Stay unique. Stay stubborn, sort of. Stay open-minded. Stay skilled. Stay relentless in your pursuit of hobby knowledge. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.